Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Our Heavenly Father, we do pray for your help uh, this evening. Uh, We've got some very hard things to hear from you tonight. So we pray that you would break down every obstacle uh, to us hearing them clearly and responding rightly. And we ask for that help in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, do sit down, and uh, if in your Bibles you could be turning back to page uh, 921, Amos uh, chapter 7, that would be very good. Now, I do like uh, watching films, um, all kinds of films, in fact, uh, but including action films. Um, But I do have to admit also that uh, all... uh, for all the noise and activity in an action film, many action films can, can in, in the end, be pretty boring. The same old things happen over and over again. Same old cliches. And because they're the same old things, there's no tension in them, really, because we know what's going to happen. Uh, so, for example, take that moment, which seems to happen in pretty much every action film, uh, sometimes more than once, Uh, when the heroes have to get down some pathway or other. They're running, perhaps, or perhaps they're even in a a spaceship. They're they're running or speeding because they're being chased. Perhaps they're running from an explosion. Anyway, they're running, going very fast. And in front of them, a, a door or a shutter is closing conveniently, slowly, Uh, It is a a very simple way to take over the world, or the galaxy, uh, for that matter, would be to fit some faster shutting doors or shutters. Anyway, they're spinning towards this this conveniently slowly closing door or shutter, and uh, we're supposed to feel worried for them at this point. You know, will they make it? Will they make it? Do I care? (laughs) Oh, they've, they've made it. Just, what a surprise, just like last time. Now, I begin like that because uh, over the last few weeks, the prophet Amos has been telling us that we too are in a a sort of adventure story. I'm not sure he's been casting us as the heroes, probably a little more like the villains. But he's certainly been making sure that we feel the danger facing us and feeling it keenly. Even though this is an ancient document, a very ancient document, and Amos' words were spoken to a particular people at a particular time in history, a long time in the past. Uh, we've seen, I think, over these last weeks that what Amos has said applies very much to us too, very much. But the new thing I think that we're going to see this week is that the opportunity for escaping the danger that Amos has been talking about is shrinking fast. That opportunity is shrinking fast. It's like being in front of one of those closing doors in the films. And the question is, will we take the opportunity and get out while the opportunity and the door is still open? And you know, this time I do care what happens. I care because this, this time, it's for real. I care because it involves me, personally, And it involves you, personally. We're moving this week to a new section of the book of Amos. And what we get at the end of the book is a series of visions. And uh, we began them tonight. 
And uh, these visions should bring home to us just how urgent uh, the situation is that we're facing and indeed why we should act with such haste. And this is what I think we're going to see in our passage from Amos tonight. We've already had the call in previous chapters from Amos to seek the Lord while we still can, seek the Lord and live. And uh, these visions are going to build upon that message. Amos is going to show us tonight a window of opportunity. It's true, he'll tell us and show us. The Lord is holding back judgment for now. But that window of opportunity won't last forever. He's not going to hold back forever. And there's no point in denying it. It's a message I suppose is particularly directed at those who can't yet see the danger and need to respond quickly, perhaps for the first time. But I think we'll find tonight that this should be helpful for all of us here. You see, we're bombarded with messages all the time, aren't we? Uh, So just relax, you know, just stop being so earnest about things. You know, everything's fine, just relax. But everything is not fine. It remains urgent. It may well be that the Lord is holding back his judgment for now. But he won't hold it back forever. And there's no point in denying it. And we're going to look at that in three parts this evening. Part one, uh, the Lord is holding back judgment, uh, at least for now. Uh, that's the first two visions in our passage. Part two, but he won't hold back forever. That's visions three and four. And then part three, and there's no point in denying it. Let's begin with the first two of the four visions here. You'll find those in verses one to six of chapter seven. The Lord is holding back judgment for now. He is holding it back, but only just. Uh, You can see there that the first of these visions is about a natural disaster. Uh, Chapter seven, verse one. This is what the sovereign Lord showed me. He was preparing swarms of locusts after the king's share had been harvested and just as the second crop was coming up. But the vision horrifies Amos. When they'd stripped the land clean, I cried out, Sovereign Lord, forgive. How can Jacob survive? He's so small. So the Lord relented. This will not happen, the Lord said. You can see the second of the visions is very similar from verse four. This is what the Lord showed me. The sovereign Lord was calling for judgment by fire. It dried up the great deep and it devoured the land. This time the judgment Amos has shown seems even more serious, more comprehensive. Everything is devoured up. It's rather like the fire that came down on Sodom and Gomorrah and consumed it entirely. And again, the vision horrifies Amos. And I cried out, Sovereign Lord, I beg you, stop. How can Jacob survive? He's so small. So the Sovereign Lord relented. This will not happen either, the Sovereign Lord said. So you can see what the pattern is. The pattern is this. The Lord shows Amos what he's just about to do. Amos cries out, stop. How can the nation descended from Jacob survive this? He's so small. And the Lord hears Amos' prayer and holds back, at least for the moment. 
Now, one of the things that visions do in the Bible is to show us something of what's happening, if you like, behind the scenes, behind the surface of things. They reveal the truth behind the surface, the truth perhaps hidden from us in our daily lives. That's very much true of these visions here. You see, as we'll be reminded in a moment uh, even more, the nation thinks that this pesky little uh, prophet from the south is against them. He's, He's come to stir up trouble. He is against them. But I hope very much you can see that Amos here is on their side. In fact, the truth is, he's the only thing standing between them and ruin. The only thing. And there are other truths beneath the surface. The nation, this is a nation we've been hearing that thinks they're doing really well. But we've heard it already. They look around and they feel proud about themselves and they feel prosperous and they feel big. But the truth Amos sees as they face the scale of God, the majesty of God and the scale of God's judgment is that they are very, very small and very vulnerable. In short, they think they're safe But the truth is, they're only a head's breadth away from complete destruction. Now, the other thing that visions do, of course, is to engage your emotions. The people at the time may well have seen what a locust swarm can do to a harvest. You know, stripping it completely, removing all that prosperity they've been boasting about in in, in pretty much an instant. We'll take uh, the second vision, even more serious. Uh, which describes destruction by fire. Uh, I suppose today we might uh, compare it to something like uh, a terrible bushfire. We were in Australia on the day that, it, that became known as Black Saturday. Uh, this is one day in February 2009 when 173 people died in bushfires in the state of Victoria in Australia. Those bushfires were at times travelling at speeds up to 72 kilometres per hour. When fire is racing that fast, you cannot run away from it. You can't even drive away from it. And many escaping cars were caught in the blaze. Australia is a a prosperous and a largely safe place to live. But that thought, that risk of bushfires terrifies everybody. That's the kind of emotion that this image brings up. I don't know how you're, you're thinking about this. Uh, you might be thinking, well, yeah, now it is quite frightening, but it's, but it's all quite distant as well. It's all well and good, but it's, this is happening. This judgment warning was given over 2,500 years ago. Uh, and the particular warning that Amos is talking about came and went. What's it got to do with me? But the sober truth is, unfortunately, uh, that an even greater warning a parallel warning, but an even greater warning is given in our age too. Now listen to John the Baptist, last of the biblical prophets, who talks of the coming judgment like this. He says, the axe is already at the root of the trees. After me will come one who is more powerful than I. His winnowing shovel is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. That's a warning for our age, for us, for us even here tonight. But the amazing thing that happened uh, after John spoke that warning uh, all those years ago 
is that the one who came after him actually didn't come with the expected judgment. Instead, actually, what he did was to do what the prophet Amos is doing here. He stepped into the breach, delaying the judgment, holding it back, at least for a while. That was Jesus. That's what he came to do. In fact, that's one way of describing what the Christian message is all about. The Lord Jesus came to delay the judgment of God, to give us the space and opportunity to escape it. He is, if you like, standing in that closing doorway, holding it back, holding it back. So the message of Amos, ancient as it is, shouts to each of us here tonight too. Seek him and live. Seek him while you still can. Because that opportunity won't be open forever. You see, the Lord may well be holding back judgment for now, but he won't hold back forever. He won't hold back forever. And this is what we find in the next two visions. Vision number three here is in verses six through uh, to nine, or seven through to nine of chapter seven. Uh, it's a little tricky, this uh, vision, because uh, nobody actually knows what the key word in the vision means. And traditionally, it's translated uh, plumb line, which is what we've got in our translations here, which uh, kind of works, I think. But if we, even if we can't be 100% sure about that word, we can still see what's going on. The Lord is showing Amos something, something that makes it absolutely crystal clear that his people Israel do not measure up. And then he says, end of verse eight, I will spare them no longer. The high places of Isaac will be destroyed. The sanctuaries of Israel will be ruined. With my sword, I will rise against the house of Jeroboam. Vision number four is over in chapter eight and verses one to three. We'll have a look at the rest of chapter seven in a moment. I hope you can see very quickly that vision four is very much like vision number three. The Lord shows Amos something and that thing makes it absolutely clear that the time is right for judgment to come. Chapter eight, verse one. This is what the sovereign Lord showed me this time, a basket of ripe fruit. What do you see, Amos? He asked. A basket of ripe fruit, I answered. Then the Lord said to me, the time is ripe for my people Israel. I will spare them no longer. In that day, declares the sovereign Lord, the songs in the temple will turn to wailing. Many, many bodies flung everywhere. Silence. And once again, these uh, visions are helping us to see the reality behind the appearances. We've seen that the people of Israel think of themselves as prosperous You know, a land of plenty. Uh, Many times we might think of ourselves rather like that too. And you might think, you know, a basket of ripe fruit. How lovely. How lovely. Centerpiece for the table. Lovely. But no, what it means is that their wickedness has now reached its full ripeness. And the Lord says, it's time to call it a day. I will spare them no longer says the Lord. And indeed, this is, seems to be how the Lord's judgment always works. We see that right across the Bible. He waits. 
He waits until sin and wickedness reaches its full measure. Just to show, just to make it absolutely clear that when the judgment comes, it is absolutely and clearly justified. The judgment that comes is just. In other words, whatever you may have been told or thought, the God of the Bible is slow to anger. Even so, we can imagine the people reacting to all of this with outrage at the time, just as we might today. What do you mean, ripe for judgment? What's the problem? What do we do? But actually, we know exactly what they've done. In fact, Amos has filled six chapters, six whole chapters, cataloging in detail, sordid detail, what they have done. And they have no defense, no excuse, no comeback. All of which should make us think, of course, about our own situation, our own world, our own nation, our community, our own personal lives indeed. Most of us, I think, would be ready to admit that all of these things are a bit of a mess in one way or another. But tonight, reflect upon this. Could it be worse than that? Could it be these things are not just messy, but in all these things there is a growing and deepening wickedness? Something that is now ripe for God's judgment. I wonder if it uh, could be a little like this. Uh, Imagine for a moment uh, two drunken men. They've had a good night out on the town. And they break into the lion enclosure at the local zoo uh, late one night. Uh, They would be the first to admit they're a little worse for wear as they do this. Uh, But they're also having a lot of fun. And they've found a big stick, and they're using it to poke what they think is a sleeping lion. There's a lot of laughter and joking as they do it. Except we can see that the lion isn't actually asleep. It's not sleeping at all. In fact, his eyes are wide open. It's just choosing the right moment to respond. And uh, we know as we watch on that scene... That this can't last long. It just can't last long. And we know for sure it's not going to end happily. I wonder, could it not be that our situation is very much like that? Now, I know that you uh, don't like hearing all of this. Uh, No one's going to enjoy being warned about judgment and coming judgment. I hope you can believe me when I say that I'm not enjoying warning you either. It's not something that anyone should relish doing. I'm doing this because it's here. It's in God's words. It's from God. It's for us. And we have to deal with it. And in any case, I know from this very passage, this very passage, there's no point in trying to suppress or ignore This warning. And that's our final point tonight. Chapter 7, verses 10 through to 17. Uh, Right in the middle of those last two visions of judgment, uh, we get a a little narrative explaining that there's no point in denying any of this. There's no point in denying it. In fact, it's self-defeating to deny it. Enter Amaziah, the priest of Bethel. 
who, as you can see, really doesn't like Amos and doesn't like the message he's hearing. And tells, he tells the king in verse 10, the land cannot bear all his words. And he says to Amos, you shouldn't even be here. You haven't just crossed a, a parish boundary, a, a, a diocesan boundary. You're ministering in entirely different promises. Who do you think you are? Speaking such words in the presence of the king in the temple of his kingdom. Go home. Go back where you came from. And it's true, Amos admits, I am a nobody. (laughs) I look after sheep and trees, that's who I am. But actually that just makes things worse for Amaziah. He's the priest of Bethel. He's supposed to be looking after the king and the people of Israel and warning them against their wickedness. And the fact that he hasn't done that, he hasn't done his job, is why the Lord has had to bring this warning from elsewhere. From Amos, from the most unlikely of sources. And so Amos warns him personally. Amaziah, you and your family will not escape the coming judgment. And Amos says some very, very strong things there in verse 17. But what we see there in verse 17 is all these things that Amaziah thinks he's trying to protect. You know, his family, his own prosperity, the prosperity of his family, his property, his place within the nation. He thinks he's trying to protect these things by by shutting Amos down. All those things, when the judgment comes, will be swept away. When that happens, the worst things he can imagine for himself and his family will happen. All of it will be swept away as the nation is swept away. The Lord is holding back judgment for now, but he won't hold it back forever. And there's no point in denying it. And I suppose in the end, this passage leaves us with a clear choice. In fact, two clear examples. You might wonder, there's Amos on the one hand, and there's Amaziah on the other. And we might wonder, are we, are we with Amos? Facing up to the reality of coming judgment? Or are we with Amaziah? Keen to deny it. Keen to suppress it. Or ignore the truth. There are of course many, many ways for us to be like Amaziah. We could, for example, have all sorts of intellectual objections Uh, to what I've been telling you tonight. All this talk of judgment and retribution. You might say, well, that just sounds so primitive. It's um, Bronze Age thinking, as I heard someone put it recently. I think I I once thought that way. Is that really right? As Pete was commenting a a few weeks ago, uh, I think our distaste for judgment is very much a product of the prosperous and peaceful times we live in. We just haven't faced evil and wickedness in all its fullness in the way that previous generations have or indeed other people in the world face today. It's two arms length for us. It wouldn't take very much, very, really not very much at all, I suspect, for us to drop our intellectual objections to judgment very quickly. 
But still, even if we drop the intellectual objections, we still might want to do what Amaziah is doing here and try to defend what we have, defend the comfortable status quo. After all, who wants to hear this stuff? You know, it spoils the party. It rocks the boat. It's too much, as Amaziah, Amaziah says, for us to bear. Too much for us to hear. So we might act to suppress or dismiss the message. I was at a development day organized by the diocese a few years ago now. And the main speaker said she thought that the Hebrew prophets, including Amos, of course, had problems with anger management. And, you know, they really shouldn't be taken seriously in this day and age. Some have already taken her advice. You might know that... um, the lectionary of Bible readings used by uh, many churches gets revised from time to time. And um, many of the passages relating to God's judgment have been successively cut out. So they simply never turn up week by week. So we might try to suppress it, or we might try to ignore it. We might stop our ears to the message. You know, I don't have to hear this. I get off my back. So for people who have drifted perhaps in their Christian life, perhaps slipped into doing something they know they shouldn't do, the temptation when that happens is to cut ourselves off from the message. We might start going to a different church where they don't pass on this message. We might start coming to church altogether. We might cut ourselves off from Christian friends so we don't have to hear what they're telling us. Or we might say, you know, I just simply don't believe any of this. It, you know, it hasn't happened yet. This thing I'm doing, this life I'm living, it doesn't seem to have any consequences. What judgment? What judgments? But the thing we learn from Amos 7 is that about all of these reactions is that none of them matter in the end. Actually, none of them matter. We can object all we like. You know, we can come up with as many intellectual objections as, as we can. We can suppress the message all we like. We can stop our ears and pretend it's not happening. We can refuse to believe it. But none of those things have the slightest effect on the reality that judgment will come, whether we like it or not. Remember those two drunken men poking a, a line with a stick? We know they're not going to be doing that for long. Remember too that our personal experience of judgment can indeed come at any time, any time, because it comes through our death. The writer of the book of Hebrews reminds us that we are all destined to die once and after that to face judgment. And however much we might want to repress the reality of death too, we also know it could come at any time. And we certainly know we can't avoid it in the end. So then how can we line up with Amos instead? We line up with Amos by listening to what he says. Amos wants to keep us from hiding from this reality, the reality of coming judgment, and to face up to it squarely. 
It wants us to read and engage with the parts of the Bible which talk about this coming judgment, like this one, and respond appropriately as soon as we possibly can. He wants us to seek the Lord while we still can, while the opportunity is still open. And for us, that means seeking the one who has done for us all what Amos does in this passage. The one who has interceded with the Lord on our behalf. For us, it means seeking Jesus. But the amazing thing about Jesus compared to Amos is that not only does he pray for us, not only did he delay the judgment for us to give us another chance, he also did something. He also acted to provide the way out. Now, that is, after all, one of the puzzles about this passage. In this passage, the judgment that's coming, it just seems inevitable. It seems unavoidable. You know, it's right and it's just, and of course, God has to do it. Once we've grasped it, God has to do it. But the question is, how can, how can I face the judgment of God and yet at the same time escape it? It seems incompatible, doesn't it? How can I face it and escape it? Well, the answer lies in Jesus. You see, by trusting him for my life, he takes all of that judgment, all the judgment that was coming my way, and takes it upon himself as he dies upon the cross. And that's the amazing thing, that we can trust him in that, and he will take that judgment. And then we can cry out with the Apostle Paul, this is from Galatians, chapter two, and say, I have been crucified with Christ. That judgment has been taken and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So tonight is a nice for facing up to realities For many of us tonight, it's going to be a night for being reminded of realities. Somewhere in the world tonight, uh, someone will be watching Han Solo in the Millennium Falcon, speeding towards an ever-decreasing gap. Someone else will be watching Captain Kirk in an Enterprise shuttle, speeding towards an almost identical ever-decreasing gap. Someone else with a a less auspicious DVD collection, perhaps, will be watching Doctor Who running down a corridor, as he does. And what's this? A slowly descending shutter. Quelle surprise. What will happen? But the visions of Amos have shown us something not fictional, but real. We've been shown tonight a rapidly decreasing window of opportunity. In fact, as we've looked closely, we've seen that it's only being kept open because there's someone standing in the gap, holding it open on our behalf. But the the odd thing, the strange thing about this story is that some, some of us haven't even started running yet towards that gap and some of us who have been running are perhaps fading and slowing 
And yet still that person calls us. Come on, come on. Before it's too late.